Um, let's start with the prayer, can we? Father, you know the unanswered prayers we carry. You know our distress in not having answers to our prayers. So we pray that as we reflect on these things together, you'd give us wisdom and understanding and faith to trust you, despite the difficulties that we find ourselves facing. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Welcome. Well, we didn't really know who would come and what sort of issues they would come with and how much you're wanting to just come and talk about your own particular issues or whether you want input from us or whatever. So hopefully we'll do a bit of both and we'll put some input into it and we'll pause for questions along the way. And I was going to kick off and then uh, and put down some basic principles and then hand over to Peter to flesh out a few other matters and then we'll discuss as we go along. So do interrupt as you like. What I've got to say, I've put on a sheet, so if um, you can take one of those afterwards, but take it at the end rather than read it now, because I've got some pickies on the screen. <coughs> it seems to me essential to go back to the beginning with prayer, and you remember the incident in the Gospels where Jesus, they went, according to Luke, they went to Jesus to teach us to pray. Matthew uh, puts it slightly differently. He says, when, in the Sermon on the Mount, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. And, and there we're looking at the idol worship of the many religions um, in the Roman world, uh, all of which required sacrifices of one sort or another. Um, for they think they'll be heard by their many, for their many words, so don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. And he teaches the great prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. So when we come to God, we're not coming before a cruel master as a slave. And we're not coming as a disgruntled employee before a rather remote boss. Um, and we're not coming either, as some liberal theologians would have it, to the ground of our being, whatever that means. Jesus says we come to him as our father, uh, who loves us, who welcomes us as children, who come in repentance and faith, trusting him. Now, I think these uh, fundamental issues in the Lord's Prayer, uh, to my mind, have really come alive to me recently in investigating the Rotas Square. Now, I don't know whether you know anything about the Rotas Square. Um, these squares have been found on buildings, on pottery, on walls, all over Europe um, and in Ethiopia and in Syria. And nobody knows what they mean. The meaning is long lost. And, um, but it's a, it's a puzzle of letters. They're Latin words. The words themselves don't give us any help. One word, rotas, means wheels. Opera means work. Tenet means he holds. Haripo doesn't mean anything. It's just opera backwards. 
Sator could mean a sewer. So that's the square, and it's all over the place. But that one is the oldest one that's ever been discovered, and that was found in uh, Pompeii, uh, and is dated to about AD 60, which is the height of Nero's persecution. And it was found on one of these columns, uh, which were felled in an earthquake in 62 AD, so it's felt that this was written on the, on the column before 62 AD. And another one was found in the, on the doorpost of this house. It's the home of a baker. And what is fascinating to my mind is, this is these are the most famous faces of Pompeii. It's actually the only portrait that was done in Pompeii. All the other paintings are, are just thought to be typical people, um, but this was clearly two individuals. Um, but anyway, that's a bit of another story to get sidetracked onto that. But they had a rotesque square on their doorpost. This one was found in Sirencester on a wall of a house um, and is dated to about AD 150 and is the oldest, if it is a Christian symbol, it is the oldest uh, evidence of Christianity, the earliest evidence of Christianity in Britain. And the only solution to this puzzle that has been put forward, which is at all credible, is that it breaks out into Paternoster. Um, Mary Beard thinks that's most unlikely. Why would it be in Latin? Uh, well, because it's in Latin, it presumably was invented in Rome <laughs> at the time of Nero. It's obviously Latin and, and not Greek. Um, and if you notice there, the, the more one looks both at the square and the cross, there is only one N in this system, and the N is right in the centre. So it's led people to ask, is there significance to the N? And um, it seems to me that whoever invented the Rota Square initially, whether they saw it or not, other people subsequently would have seen the centrality of N. Because, of course, it's the second line of the Lord's Prayer. May your name be hallowed. And N is, a letter is often used as an initial uh, in Latin inscriptions. So it isn't at all far-fetched to think that the N gives us the second line. May your name be hallowed. And that is our central concern in prayer. Now, hallowed is a funny word. It's out of modern usage. I was involved in the General Synod when they revised the Alternative Services uh, prayer book in the 1980s, I suppose it was. And it was quite interesting. They tried to find another word for hallowed, and they didn't really succeed. Because, I mean, I thought honoured, may your name be honoured, was sensible. But it's a much stronger word than that. It, it's may your name be kept holy, be sacred, set apart. Um, held in awe and reverence, which is rather more, you know, we honour football teams and sports people and people who win the Tour de France, but this is, <laughs> this is, this is something rather more important. And here we're talking about the name that's above every name. I mean, this also comes out of Rome at about 60 AD, 62 AD, they think. Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians, and he gives this wonderful hymn that... Um, I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And it starts off by saying, being in the very nature God, 
he has made in human likeness. So, so this is the name that we're talking about. And John says very clearly in his gospel that Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now this isn't a, 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 a slogan that we tack on at the end of a prayer, sort of speed our prayers on their way. Oh, we ask it in Jesus' name. It, it, it's much more important than that. Um, it's a central recognition that our prayers are all about the honour of his name, his kingdom coming, and his will being done in our lives. So we, when we pray in Jesus' name, we are reminding ourselves at the end of the prayer that we submit to God's good purposes for us. And this is what Paul said in Romans 8. We do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God and uh, and to my mind that interceding, if you think of somebody who's a go-between the Holy Spirit was called the go-between God, if you're going between two different parties um, you are hearing what sorry Sorry, thank you okay can you be quick, thank you Thank you very much. If, you, if you're interceding, you, you're hearing what one person says. You're interpreting it to the other, but you know what the other person says. And you're going back and say, well, look, the, the way you should be looking at it is like this. And then you, you get a modified statement. You're going between. And that's the, the work of the Spirit. He intercedes according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So God doesn't promise to answer all our prayers. He doesn't promise us the new car or the pay rise. He doesn't promise us bodies that won't age. He's not going to spare us of death. Um, The prayers that he answers are those that bring honour to his name, that usher in his kingdom, and that fulfil his will and purposes for us. And that's what the Lord's Prayer says. Half of the first half of the prayer is all about that. So the fundamentals of prayer are what are God's purposes, not what are ours, and how do we bring honour to his name? Any questions so far on that? Is that um, is that problematic or We'll find out what God is God. Absolutely, yeah. And, and this surely is why the, the scriptures are things we should be constantly reflecting on. We need to be unpacking them at all levels to try and get some sense of the mind of God for our lives. Yeah. Yeah, the tricky thing is finding examples in the scripture of prayers that do not answer. 
Well, I think Peter. Yeah, I think Peter's going to, in a few minutes, take us on. Yeah. Sorry, which is? Which is an answer, mm. which Paul had to accept. Mm. Paul in the flesh. Yeah. Sometimes he prayed that he might go. Mm. And God said, no, you're too If we pray for somebody to become a Christian, surely that does bring honor to God's name and it ushers in his kingdom and it must be according to his purposes. It must be according to his purposes if they become a Christian. <laughs> you know, I, th- I mean, these, these are great mysteries, aren't they? Yes. They have the sovereignty of God and evangelism. But we can always pray that they can become a Christian, but I think we do have to realize in our evangelism, for, for my mind, it's the only thing that keeps on going in evangelism, is the sense that it is in God's sovereign purposes. And, you know, you tell, explain the gospel, and this lovely Chinese guy a couple of years ago doing a degree here in the university we talk for hours about the gospel and he's gone off to London to do a masters and I've just lost contact with him he, I, I, you know, I had his address, I've written to him I sent him emails perhaps in ten years time he will come to grips with what the gospel's about perhaps he's got to you know, run a mock for I think it's so easy isn't it for us to, as it were Make a, think in our minds as we pray for people but taking that scenario of how God could do that so we're not just saying may, may they come to faith in you but we're sort of saying well God could you bring them to meet this person or could they hear this or could they do, you know I'm going to talk to them today so please don't use this but God is sovereign and his, he doesn't have the same time scheme and scale as us and you never know for example your Chinese friend it may be in two decades and you don't know what, you know, you just know, don't we, that God said that his word won't go out or return void, that it will accomplish what he wants. And I think, you know, the more I've been thinking about this press, because I've got to preach on this subject later in August, um, realising how often when I'm actually praying for people, I'm actually, in my mind, I'm thinking how God's going to answer and actually to submit my will to him is to say, actually, God, I'm bringing this person to you and you do it the way you want. Yes. But, you know, I mean, ultimately, it's their choice. It they is. still have the choice. They still have free will. And I know when I, I'm praying, I feel that God has, has said, Paul, I just want you to concentrate on being who I've called you to be and don't thank somebody to the kingdom because I think I changed that tactic before. Um, you Scriptural teaching that God wants everyone to be saved, yeah. 
and the scriptural teaching that God wants everyone to have the freedom to reject it and not to. But actually, those, 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 of course, that is God's general will, but that is particular. So I think those prayers for the God, if there's anything that I can do to be involved in helping this person to be saved, you know, let me let me do that. If inviting me to this meeting would be really useful, please give me an opportunity to do that. Or those particular prayers, uh, but as I say, being open to it being fulfilled in God's way, because yeah, I mean, of course, it is God's will that everyone be saved. So if we pray that, that's in line with His will. But then it's also his will that, that he doesn't force everyone. Mm-hmm. Sure. You, know, you know, Jesus himself praying over Jerusalem, saying, Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how many times have I wanted to gather you to myself, but you would not. Mm-hmm. God himself allows his, his ultimate will to be frustrated in individual cases, mm-hmm. whilst we know that his overall will will always, of course, be, be fulfilled in the end. In the end. Um, did you want to take over and sure. give us talk about some of the things that Frank raised as well? Yes, I'll go there. No. Hold on to. There's the gizmos. The right gizmos. Clicker, yes, thank you. So I don't know whether I'll get on particularly to the problem of evil, but I do want to follow up a little bit on the, the biblical passages about prayer. But I thought I'd start with this lovely story I, I came across in the work of uh, Pinchas Lapid, who's a Jewish theologian, and he uh, retells this story from the Talmud. Uh, the Talmud reports that two rabbis, Rabbi Rabba and Rabbi Sarah, at one time got so drunk in honour of the festival of Purim uh, that uh, uh, the rabbi, rabbi unintentionally killed his teaching colleague. That must have been quite some night out. Uh, as soon as he became sober the next morning, uh, he asked devoutly for God's forgiveness and Rabbi Sarah awoke to life again. Wow, miracle. One well, year later, he invited Rabbi Sarah again to celebrate Purim the latter declined with the words, a miracle doesn't happen every time. And it's interesting, the recognition of a God who can work miracles and sometimes does work miracles, and yet we know from experience, don't we, that God, a miracle does not happen every time. Uh, we do not miraculously get our way uh, with the world. It does happen every time. There's a hot line to heaven. God keeps open. And that's the miracle. Uh, we can come through to him and say, uh, your name is hallowed. Which yeah. is the first thing we have to say. Yes. Your name is hallowed. Get back, boys, and we're connected. Right. That is a miracle. But the miracle that we asked for does not always happen. Yeah. Sometimes it does. So, of course, unanswered prayers, and I think we can focus too much in sometimes in the, in the sort of teaching or in our songs and so on, on the, the biblical teaching about pray for this and I will 
the sort of emphasis on I will answer. And we take some of those out of context and some, some of them we, we, we misunderstand. But if Jesus himself, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, God, uh, Father, if you are willing, and notice that if you are willing, but he prays, take this cup away from me, yet not my will but yours be done. So is this prayer answered or is it not? Well, in, in different ways, yes, it is answered because God's will is done. <laughs> but is it answered in, in as much as is the cup taken away from him? No, it is not. Um, no, but it is a different grace. Right. So, Elijah, you know, the Old Testament prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19, uh, gets a bit depressed and wishes that he was dead. He says, uh, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Uh, and God does not take his life. <laughs> he gives him some food uh, to... Uh, to start cheering him up, you know, he starts dealing with his uh, with his symptoms. Or, or as Frank mentioned, Paul's unanswered prayer about the thorn in the flesh from two Corinthians twelve, which he play, prays repeatedly to God, please take this away, and God says no, and giving of the grace, and uh, well, so that, so that it is it's an answer. It, it's not the answer that Paul initially. Wanted. It's not what he prayed for. He prayed, please take this thorn away. And the thorn was not taken away. But of course, in the bigger framework, he, he, if you're thinking in, in terms of, well, I'm, I'm praying to put this situation in God's hands. I'm praying that God's will will be done with this in whatever way God sees fit. Then, of course, yes, God answers that prayer. Uh, but he does not take away uh, the thorn. Indeed, in Colossians 1, 9 to 11, think of this. We do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, the importance of knowing God's will, and strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. So there's prayer for Christians to be able to cope with suffering in the situation, not a prayer that they won't suffer. And often our prayers, of course, for obvious reasons, will tend to focus on, I, I, I'm suffering, or my friend is suffering, or someone's got illness, or whatever. Please, Lord, take this situation away. And yet, you know, here we have a biblical example of, of praying not, please, Lord, take, take this suffering away, but please, please, Lord, give us strength to suffer. Yeah, but there's always this attitude of grace is given to us, even if the prayer is answered no. Right. There's, there's always in Scripture that you will be given grace to cope with this. Yeah, yeah. Well, someone else can, can yeah. I think actually, my grace is
No. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, it's handling this always has to be handled with great sensitivity, the subject of, of, of suffering and how we, we deal with it. Isn't it? Um, so that sort of attitude towards suffering and in God's grace with you know, being able to be unhappy with God's joy undergirding and sustaining you in your unhappiness of suffering. Um, Romans 5, talking about we glory in our sufferings because our suffering produces perseverance and so on. That this is just sort of, this is the expected sort of attitude that Paul writes about. Or James 1, 2 says, you know, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. And it's sort of saying you will. All sorts of, <laughs> consider it nothing but joy. Not that you're going to be, ooh, happy, happy, yes, trials. But, but a sort of, uh, that, that, that undergirding joy of I know that in Christ and in God my fundamental needs are, are met. My, my fundamental safety <coughs> is there, whatever happens to me in this life. The sort of Pauline, I do not th- think that the, the sufferings of this life are worth even comparing in the balance pan to the glory that will be revealed. It's like, whatever going on now, it will be worth it. Um, and of course, the tough thing is, at the moment, you have to suffer the thing that you can see here and now without actually seeing and experiencing the glory that will be revealed. You've, you've only got this, the, the foretaste, the forehints, um, the down payment uh, of the Spirit and the example of, of Christ and the apostles and the resurrection and so on. Um, that our suffering can sort of be here and yet to get the, the perspective to put that suffering into uh, the eternal perspective um, is obviously a struggle and that's obviously why the Bible keeps hammering home the message because we need that message to be uh, repeated to us so that, so that, so that we get it uh, as it were Living the good life isn't easy. Um, the Bible is very realistic about evil and suffering. God does sometimes act here and now against evil and suffering. But he's done it decisively by suffering himself on the cross. Uh, in the here and now, we, are, we, we, we aren't in the promised new heavens and new earth yet. And Jesus doesn't call us to an easy life. Someone was quoting this earlier, I think. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Not that they're persecuting you, of course. That's not nice. But rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is, this is just how it is and how it's been for thousands of years and how it will be for however long it will take until the, the day of the Lord. Yeah. Uh, and so that sort of biblical teaching you also have to take into account and, and put these particular teaching about well keep praying I, I, I will answer if it's in my name <laughs> uh, I will answer but not necessarily in the way that you're wanting at the moment um, etc uh, one of the songs this morning picked up on the, on the line about uh, moving mountains 
which is often taught completely out of context. Jesus, having taken the disciples through the temple complex, uh, says to them, um, pointing, if you say to this mountain, move that, in faith, then it will. What mountain is he talking about? The preachers often take it as, oh, well, mountains represent problems in our life. God wants you to overcome your problems. You know, you've got a problem at work. You know, pray in faith, and that mountain, God will move the mountain for you. And it's, if it doesn't, then it's because it's your fault because you haven't got enough faith. You know, that sort of prosperity gospel teaching comes out of that. But no, Jesus is pointing to the the Temple Mount and saying to the disciples, the Jewish establishment and the old covenant will not stand against the church and the new covenant and, and, it, and it didn't <laughs> it hasn't but we take you know some people take that out of context make, and make it a general God will get rid of the mountains plural it's not in the original in your life there we go I'd like to see the geological report. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. But the, the, the emphasis of that song, it, it seemed to be saying, whatever problem you have here and now, bring it to God and he'll solve it for you. I don't think it was necessarily meant in that way, but it didn't sort of say. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. But you know, there wasn't anything in, in in the song saying, and when God doesn't solve the problem that you've brought to Him, He'll give you grace to deal with it. Or uh, that's because you're going. You know, the, in the sermon, Mike was talking about Jesus in the wilderness undergoing the, the trial. And that the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness to, to be tried, to be tested, uh, and to suffer those temptations of the devil and so on. Uh, not to be taken away from them, but to go through them with God on the basis of God's word and, and, and so on. Um, you know. So, yeah, a little bit more balance in some of our songs. Yeah. That's the truth, that's our God. There's nothing yeah. impossible to him. Doesn't mean say he will do what we want him to do. Right. That's yeah, yeah. So we we have to be careful what, what we infer from, what we deduce from the you know, theological truths told out of context, without sort of balancing it, it can sort of lead us 
astray. It's not that it's wrong, but it's, it can be put in a misleading way sometimes, I think. Yeah, God yeah. will do it his way. He doesn't have to explain to us how. Right. That's just the point. We don't have yeah. to ask how did you do yeah. that. We just have to accept it yeah. and rejoice in it. And sometimes we can see why and how God does stuff, and sometimes we don't. Maybe we can't. You know, why, why would we expect to be able to fit all of God's thoughts into our minds? So, uh, <laughs> and for yeah. Paul, this form of the flesh, I mean, I assume that phrase means it was a physical yeah. illness or whatever it was, whether it was his eyesight or epilepsy or whatever it was. <coughs> but he must have thought. Well, obviously, actually, this should go because mm. I said I can be free to travel and yeah. to fulfil my commission. It's getting in the way of my ministry. Surely, surely, God wants sure. to. Yeah. It has to be. Mm-hmm. For other purposes, yeah. Particularly, you know, which he has insight into, which he kept humble before God mm. and depending on God. Mm. So, it's a thing that should be worked out. Yeah. Yeah. And either have the thorn and the grace or no thorn and no grace. And Paul yeah. has to choose which he will have. Yeah. And he will have the thorn because so much more he wants the grace. Mm. <coughs> he didn't give him the choice though, Frank. Actually, God said, no, I want you to have my grace, which is sufficient for you. Yeah. So it's God's choice. Yeah. Surely that is what it's in the name of Jesus is all about. It's giving God the freedom to have his choice in our lives. Yeah. We can suggest things to God, but that's... Yeah. And if you don't ask, you can't get, in a sense. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with, with asking for what we want, so long as we're putting it into this context of realising, well, maybe actually at the end of the day this process of praying to God about this and what I want about it might end up with God changing my mind about what I want and how I'm going to deal with it and what he should be doing and so on (laughs) rather than the other way around. Um, And, you know, if there's going to be a change here it's probably going to be on my end. (laughs) You know. Particularly when we pray long term, yeah. at the end we, we are different people, yeah. and the prayer may not have been answered in the way we hoped. Yeah. But we've been made. But I, we, I think that's true. That's, that's if we can <coughs> <coughs> mm. Actually, you know, she was downcast. She was miserable. She was crying. She wanted to pray, and then Eli said that God would hear her prayer and answer her. And you, you hear that she went off, and her face was radiant, and she ate. But God yeah. hadn't answered her prayer. She wasn't happy to see Sam. Yeah. But she was a changed woman. Yes, yeah, or exactly, or, or Job, at the end of all Job's wrestling with the problem of suffering in his life, um, when God finally, when he finally hears from God and speaks with God, it's not that God reveals to Job why what is going on is going on, or gives him the answer to, you know, who's right in the theological debate that they've been having, Exactly, it's that Job meets with God. Yeah. <laughs> he says, "I talked, I, you know, I talked about things that I that I sort of didn't know of, but now I've met, I've I've met with you, and that is that that makes the central difference at, at the end of Job." Yeah. 
um, yes, suffering and evil is part of its experience, but so now is the God of, of the world. Uh, and so they must, they must go together somehow. It doesn't lay out how. Um, but he has, to take, he has to take both into account. You have Sometimes we should spend a bit more time asking how we want us to pray mm. if, so that we can, as Peter said, pray with some degree of confidence that we are praying in Jesus' name. Because mm. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing yeah. and he would have 
waited. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when it you know when it shows us where to start with, your will be done. Yeah. As you say, the, the difficult question then is, well, what is your will in this particular situation, and and how do I distinguish between what I know is your general will? I mean, God's general will is that nobody sins. You know, so, but I'm not. Uh, you know, if, if I say, oh, okay, uh, so. Uh, Dear God, uh, please may nobody sin today. So, well, I, I know that's, that's not a sensible prayer. <laughs> God's not going to answer that, even though that is his will, in one sense. Um, so where do I pitch? What in particular? How do I go from the, the general to the particular? Um, I love the Christian philosopher J.P. Morland in, in talking about prayer, encourages Christians to, to pray more specifically about things, it's all very easy to, you know, the oh, Lord, we, we bring before you so and so, and we put them in your hands, and well, yes, that's very good because it's the that's the, the sort of openness to to God and Christ shaping us that we've talked about. Um, but then he says, if you pray specifically. When, on those occasions when God does say yes rather than no or not yet or <laughs> or change your thinking about this um, it's much easier to know that, that he has answered which is encouraging but to, to, to pray specifically but sensibly for things whilst still being open to maybe we've prayed for the wrong specific thing and that, I think that's it's very tricky um, but but well worth worrying away at uh, and going beyond the platitudes, going, going beyond just asking what, what we want without thinking about it, but also go, not just sort of saying, oh, well, I'm going to give up on you know, asking for stuff. I'll just say, Lord, you, your, your will be done. Just stop there. You know. uh, if, if that's where our prayers stop, we're not really going to engage with, with God. Uh, on the issues, so I think this, this, as you say, length. It can be a process. You have to wrestle with, with God, <laughs> like almost like you know Abraham. Uh, Ab- you know when Abraham talked with God, often it descends into a sort of haggling scene from the market, doesn't it? Um, well, what are you going to do about that city, God? Surely you'll do the right thing. Well, of course you'll do the right thing. But what does that mean in this situation? What if you find twenty? You know, what if you find thirty good people there? Well, I'm sure God would save it if there's thirty. Yeah, yeah thirty good people. Yeah. Well, what about twenty? Bring you down. You know, gets you down. Gets you down to ten. What if you find ten? <laughs> He's wrestling with this. What is your specific will in this situation, Lord? Um, and he, Abraham yeah. stops asking before God stops giving. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know. No, there's no, there's no, there's no stop there, Abraham. No. From God. I mean, is that because? To hear that yeah. Is that because Abraham's got the general idea that yeah, you know, God is, you know, I'm getting down. Of course, the general principle: God will do the right thing. But he, you know, he's saying in this situation, he, he's 
threatening punishment, and I, you've got to leave that up to him eventually. But I've, I've, I've wrestled with this and got the idea that God's not, not one of these capricious gods like the other gods who's just going to like, oh, I want to zap you because I feel like it, you know. He's a god who will occasionally zap people, but he's going to do it with justice and knowledge of the situation and for a good purpose and, and so on and so forth. So he wrestles with it. Job wrestles with it. Jesus wrestles with it in the in the garden and so on. Right, what should we call it a halt? Given the subject of a good area, but I said we have appointments for luncheon and yeah. other things that we need to be doing. So. Well, thank you for your, your contributions, uh, everyone. The, Passages you mentioned and so on. Close with a prayer. Father, as we have talked, you have been moving in our hearts and showing us some of the dilemmas and the issues that we face. We pray that you'd help us to see our problems in your hands and you'd increase our confidence that you will do what is good and right and true your purposes for us. We thank you for that security that we have. And we pray, Father, that our difficulties in prayer would be encouragements to pray more and not um, cause us to despair.